This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparosa. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined today by longtime co-host Dalbert Asario to go through his recently published top 32 big board for the NFL draft and his seven-round mock for the New York Jets. I am also going to go through some of my thoughts on which direction the Jets are going to go on day one and day two of the NFL draft. Uh, if you have not yet, please make sure to subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Need those ratings. Takes a second. Hit the five stars on iTunes. Also, if you have not yet, make sure that you subscribe to our premium ad-free podcast at turnonthejets.podbean.com, publishing weekly episodes hosted by myself and Connor Rogers. Two weeks ago, we had New York Jets linebacker C.J. Mosley. Last week, we had Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network on Talking AFC East NFL Draft. We'll continue to have weekly content all offseason. So $9.99 covers you for 12 months. Pretty good deal. Basically, we'll net out to like five cents per podcast. So turn on the jets.podbean.com. Also follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. Mispronounced my own name at quarantine here. That's that's how long it's been. <laughs> um, and always follow our writing at turnonthejets.com where we've been cranking through. Dalbin, how are you holding up? Here in quarantine, as we are now in April, we are less than two weeks out for the NFL draft. How you feeling? Honestly, having something to look forward to is, is good. You know, I'm incredibly fortunate. I'm still working. Uh, my wife and I have turned our first floor into a makeshift daycare, jungle gym, just everything you can think of uh, for, you know, for my daughter. And, you know, Joe, you and I became parents roughly around the same time. So you, you know what that's like. Uh, but, you know, honestly, just super pumped to really get into draft season, uh, you know, have something to look forward to, like I mentioned, and see if, you know, the Jets can finally end this long gestating uh, playoff drought this coming season so i'm looking forward to it i could definitely empathize about the um i mean the playpen set up around the house nonstop. it's been uh it's been quite an adventure but it's been great to also get uh get more time with uh toj jr in these uh this past month or so that i normally wouldn't get when i'd be out at the office so it's been uh it's been interesting but uh again like you said lucky to you know still be working through all this and being able to still kind of crank out all this content here so let's Let's talk NFL draft. Uh, looking at your big board, I don't see too many major, major surprises. The first quarterback you have ranked is Joe Burrow at five. You have him behind Judy, who you have at four, which I think some people may consider pretty high. Knowing that you have Judy at four and you have a guy like Andrew Thomas at seven and you have a guy, uh, some of these other tackles that the Jets are potentially considering taking – Maybe a little lower uh, than some other Jet fans would. You know, you got Worfs at uh, nine, uh, which is below Judy. Uh, you have Justin Jefferson up at 13. You have Willis down at 16. Would you go Judy at 11 for the Jets, even if one of those top four tackles are on the board? 100%. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Jerry Judy is – I think here's the thing. I think that there is more – 
there's more of a chance of the Jets trading for a guy like Trent Williams or signing Jason Peters, who Joe Douglas was in the Philadelphia front office, uh, than there is of you finding a top-tier pass catcher. And this is, and make no mistake about it, this is as deep a class as we've seen since 2014. So we've now gone through five draft cycles. And one of the things that it's interesting, Connor and I talked about this in 2014, we were going to see a run on corners to try to offset that historical 2014 class, that Beckham, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins class, right? And so you've seen that. You've seen a lot of young corners come in, Desmond King and, you know, Sidney Jones, a lot of these younger corners. And now here it is, we're poised for another break, you know, another break in the wide receivers direction with such a historic class. But I do think that there is a gap between CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and then the next wave of wide receivers. And I think that when you look at it, this Jets team as currently constructed has no top pass catcher, right? Like, I know a lot of Jet fans have been in your mentions. They've been in my mentions talking about that Brashad Perryman is the truth. And, you know, just look at what he did the last month when Mike Evans was out. And I kind of fashion that to, you know, and you're a Knicks fan, right? So you under you understand this, but I'm sure like bad teams, fans of bad basketball teams understand this. On a bad team, somebody has to put up buckets. Somebody has to put up numbers. And Perryman just happened to benefit from a pass-happy offense that really ate in that intermediate game, right? And He's now going to an offense where I, he doesn't have as good a play caller, doesn't have as good a quarterback. So this assumption that Brashad Perryman is suddenly the answer to it all for for the Jets at wide receiver, I think is kind of a joke. And so I when I, when I look at this, when I look at my big board, and again, Jerry Judy, best receiver in football, best receiver in college football, physical with the ball in his hands plays bigger than his size. He's a monster with the ball in his hands. And this Jets team needs a guy that puts fear in the in, in the defense. And that puts fear in the defense from the receiver standpoint now that you've lost Robbie Anderson. And Jerry Judy projects to be a much more complete receiver than Robbie Anderson. So yeah, if, if it came down to it, he's the guy that I would take because I think that I would much rather go into this season with Jerry Judy as a wide receiver as as the, my top wide receiver and then trading for Trent Williams or signing Jason Peters, both of who Trent Williams was productive the last time he played and Jason Peters had a productive year last year then to go into this season Joe with a rookie left tackle and you know rolling the dice on a second round wide receiver like a Michael Pittman Jr. for example who I like but who I definitely worry just how easily his game is going to translate and I think Judy's game translates a little bit easier and I think you need a sure thing from your first round pick. Staying on the topic of receivers you have Henry Ruggs down at 32. He's a guy who in some places has been uh, a pretty fast riser. He's getting some comparisons to Tyreek Hill. I don't know if that's a bit over exaggerated at the moment. I think I don't think he's a guy that should be in consideration for for the Jets at eleven. Why are you generally lower on rugs and have a guy like T. Higgins uh, higher mm-hmm. than him? And what what kind of names do you think are going to be available for the Jets to consider at receiver at forty eight? I'm sorry, not at receiver at 48, at offensive lineman at 48 mm-hmm. if they're not going to go offensive line in the first round. Yeah, sure. So I, so for me, I look at a guy like Henry Ruggs, and I think the things that worry me about, about a player like him, right, is that he was coming from an offense that had to manufacture a lot of his touches, right? Like he wasn't a guy that necessarily consistently won on the outside. He wasn't that kind of player. He was a guy that was kind of similar to how the 49ers used Debo Samuel last year, like especially in the Super Bowl, where you kind of saw a lot of jet sweeps and you kind of saw a lot of these drags across the... And so I'm banking on... I'm banking on him being drafted here and I don't trust Adam Gase to use him the way that I would think that he would be used. I think that one of the things that you see with Adam 
Adam Gase is he's not this, you know, he's not a creative play caller, right? So I think if, if you were looking at Henry Ruggs going to a place like Kansas City where you knew Andy Reid would be able to use him, but I think what I what I would want from a guy who I'm taking in the first round as a wide receiver is somebody that's going to come in and regardless of scheme is going to produce. And that's why I even look at a guy like T. Higgins, who again, I don't think T. Higgins is going to need scheme to produce. I think he's a guy that's shown that he can consistently produce. And that Clemson team, you're talking about in his freshman year, he played with Deshaun Watson, right? And he didn't get it. He didn't get a lot of run with Deshaun Watson. But then Watson leaves, and you know, you see Clemson kind of morph into more of a power running, more of a running team. And T. Higgins is still able to produce. So I, that's why I ranked him higher. I also think T. Higgins' game projects much better to the pro game than I do Henry Ruggs. I'm always worried, Joe, because I think with guys who suddenly blow up out of nowhere, I then wonder, like. Did did somebody just see you in you know in shorts and and a t shirt and suddenly think that you you know because of your speed and again he's a burner right like that's that's the one thing that we cannot take away from him but I look at him and I'm just like you know I do not I do not see where on where I could then draft you here and expect you to produce like a number one wide receiver should right out of the gate so I don't see that to your point about you know about offensive linemen I think. It's interesting because when we started the whole draft process, the guy that you saw that could potentially be had in the second round was Austin Jackson, uh, Austin Jackson, right from USC. That was the one guy that folks were like, you know what? Maybe he's the guy that you see suddenly slip into round two. But now you're seeing guys like him and Josh Jones suddenly creep up to the end of round one because I think what you're seeing is that there is like you need you need uh, you need protection and there's going to be a premium of uh, there's going to be a run on a uh, premium on the left tackle so guys that you could see potentially fall around to for the jets you could see a guy like Caesar Ruiz from Michigan who I think I have him in the top 15 in this class but he's a guy that again because he's an interior offensive lineman you could see him start to fall and I know jet fans are going to say well why on earth would you take him in round 2 if you re-signed Alex Lewis and you signed Greg Van Roden but if you listen to Panthers fans, there was one offensive lineman that they were so ecstatic to get rid of, and that was Greg Van Roden. They said that he made Matt Paradis's job substantially harder. And now you wonder, are you getting the Greg Van Roden from 2018, who was a solid starter by any metric? Or are you getting the one from last year who seemed to struggle with the new center next to him? So I think you look at a guy like that. I think you look at a guy like Lloyd Cushenberry from, from LSU. Again, another interior offensive lineman. But the Jets' best offensive lineman, and you tweeted this out you know, earlier in the week, who's going to be the Jets' best offensive lineman? Right now, it's McGovern. McGovern, hands down. You would hope, you would hope that, that Joe Douglas understands the importance of not only building the offensive line for this year, but also going forward, right? Because one of the things that's doomed the Jets repeatedly, repeatedly, has been that this lack of planning for the middle class of the roster. I'll give you another guy. There's a guy that you all that you like the line. It's Ezra Cleveland from Boise. 6'6, three, 311 pounds. He's a guy that if you did not trade for Trent Williams or did not sign Jason Peters in round three to get him, I think that's really good value. I don't like him in round two, but in round three, I think that's excellent value. I think that there's going to be a run of offensive linemen early on, much more than what we're thinking, predominantly with guys like Jackson and Josh Jones, Lucas Niang from TCU is another guy that I really, really like. But you're going to see a run of those guys because one of the things that we saw, Seattle's entire Super Bowl hopes were wrecked because they could not protect Russell Wilson. Eric Fisher almost got Patrick Mahomes killed in the Super Bowl, right? So, like, I think it's incredibly important. And Joe Douglas said that the one thing he took to heart was that he needed to protect Sam Darnold. And I think this is this is the draft where you kind of course correct a little bit. And maybe instead of double dipping on wide receivers, you take the sure thing at wide receiver at 11, and then you double dip in rounds two and three on the offensive line. I think the Jets could still need to, one thing I want to emphasize that you said, add more to that interior offensive line. I think McGovern is a good start. I think the assumption that 
your set with Alex Lewis, Greg Van Routen, and Brian Winters sort of battling it out for playing time. You have three guys there who all have major durability concerns, and all three are generally below average starters. I mean, that's just the reality of what the situation is at the moment. So uh, getting better there uh, is still a priority. Yes, of course, tackle is probably even a higher priority because I don't know if Chuma, Doger, George Fan are even starters in the NFL. You could say you know, Alex Lewis is a starter. He just might not stay healthy and be, you know, above average, but he can start. I don't know if that's the case yet uh, with a Fant and Adoga. So this is a deep draft, I think, when it comes to the interior offensive line. And I do think even if the Jets go tackle at 11, which I do think they ultimately will do, do not be surprised if they turn around and add another interior offensive lineman on day two and add maybe even another one on day three. I think they're going to want to take a lot of different swings to add up the overall depth on this roster, particularly when it comes to offensive line and their offense overall, because they don't just need tackle depth. uh, They need guard depth, and they also need running back depth still. They don't have a backup signed under contract yet for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, They also don't have a backup quarterback squared away yet, unless they're completely insane and they're going to leave fails as the backup. Now, you address with your third-round pick here, 77th overall, the Jets not having a backup running back going with J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State. What kind of player do you envision Dobbins projecting to at the next level? Oh, I think I, I think he's he's the new prototype of, of running backs now, right? It's a guy that doesn't have to come off the field, that can block well, that can catch out of the backfield. That I mean, it's just he's a decisive runner, and he's got – like he's got some a little bit of what Le'Veon Bell has in terms of the just being patient, except I think Dobbins very much, very, very much what you see, whereas Le'Veon Bell is kind of like a chess player where he's got his hand on his offensive lineman's back and he's kind of trying to move them into position. Dobbins doesn't do a lot of that. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of dancing behind his offensive line that you see. And I think you're talking about a guy who just has the absolute burst to hit the holes that you hope this offensive line makes. I think you nailed it on the head, right? Like this is a team that right now has no backup running back behind Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase already doesn't use Le'Veon Bell right so like I I think one of the things that we're seeing is one they're not going to trade Le'Veon Bell because again the the cap hit is just too too detrimental to this team currently so you're not going to trade him you're not going to pay him to go play for somebody else but I'm I said this to I said this to a group of friends of mine they were like oh you know well I I wonder if they trade him after the draft I said no they're going to cut him the minute the season ends because they owe him no more money after that and you have to be prepared for that and I think Dobbins is a guy who you draft now right and he can play behind Bell and then when you release Le'Veon Bell he steps in as your feature back because what you're seeing more of again the Giants Dave Gettleman bless his heart he took Saquon Barkley you know he took Saquon Barkley second overall and that's I mean great you know hats off to him but Saquon Barkley you're also going to start to see a lot of this wear and tear which is why you don't take running backs so high getting us getting a starter a future starter in Dobbins in round three I think is huge and I think it absolutely I think he projects to be a starter in this league a quality starter in this league and he allows you to, you don't have to lean on him so much as a rookie because I think also that's something that has doomed the Jets a lot in the past it's taking guys in the mid rounds right and you have to you have to hit on them right because you don't have a lot of depth whereas here you're taking and I had some folks who were like oh that's a luxury pick and I was like well, not necessarily because you're going to need a running back to grow with Sam Darnold as he enters year four. And Dobbins is the guy entering his second year and taking over for Le'Veon Bell. That can be that running back. Looking at the rest of uh, players, rest of the players that you circled the Jets uh, potentially adding in this class, you go cornerback with your 48th pick 
And then you go edge rusher uh, with your 83rd pick with Alton Robinson from Syracuse. Talk through the additions you make at corner and edge and what kind of immediate impact that you think rookies can make at these positional groups in 2020, knowing what the Jets' current depth chart is. If you look at edge right now, they're currently slated to basically run it back with Jordan Jenkins and Terrell Basham, which I think is you know probably slightly below average. Below average probably is an edge duo. At corner, they're going to bet on Blasson Austin uh, to be an outside starter, which, based on his play last year, makes sense, although there's still durability concerns. Uh, Pierre Desir will be the other outside corner. Brian Poole will be in the slot. Your depth right now is Nate Hairston and Arthur Mollett. Certainly wouldn't hurt to have another outside body there competing, knowing some of the injury concerns. But what's your thinking about addressing corner and edge in the draft? Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I think I think one of the things, you know, and I, again, I like the signing of Pierre Desir. I think that that's a good, solid signing. Uh, but I also think that it's very easy for Jet fans to overrate what Bless Austin did, you know, in limited action. I thought Nate Hairston showed some, you know, some flashes, and and I think he, he's good depth. But I think what the Jets do not have right now, they don't have another starter opposite this year. And I think, whereas with, and I mentioned this, you know, when we were talking about Henry Ruggs, whereas I have very much, I have serious concerns about Adam Gaze developing the offensive players on this team, which is why I'd prefer more sure things on, on the offensive side of the ball. On defense, I'm will, I'm more willing to take guys that have potential, which is why you see a guy like Alton Robinson, who again, is incredibly raw for a pass rusher, but he's a bigger edge. He has strength and he's a guy that I think Greg Williams could develop with you know with Noah Igbigone from Auburn I to me he's a top five corner in this class and he's a guy that can come in and absolutely lock down the other starting corner spot and then you have Bless Austin you have Poole you have Hairston suddenly that's a deeper group than what you originally thought and and that's why like I think for me it's and you'll see it even when I with the offensive lineman picks that I took later. You know, like I added Cushionberry, I added Biadas, I added Heck because those are more pro ready offensive linemen. I needed. I, I feel like I trust Greg Williams a lot more with the defensive with with taking a defensive prospect that's a little bit raw. But make no mistake about it, with Noah at forty eight, that's a guy that'll come in. He's probably the surest thing out of the defensive players that I took, and he's a guy that. Again, he's only played corner for two years, but he held his own in the SEC. And I think he's a guy that's only going to continue to get better. And I think under Greg Williams' tutors, I mean, you saw with Greg Williams, he just coached, he just had Marcus May have his absolute best season as a pro. And again, he coached up this cornerback group, this group, which again, had nothing, nothing in terms of a pass rush, nothing off the edge, nothing from their number three pick overall. And this defense was still able to hold their own. This defense was 16th in the league in points allowed. And and that's a defense that, again, if you if you're in the middle of the pack and points allowed, you should be a playoff team if your offense is better. And so, I mean, I, I trust Greg Williams to develop both of those guys. And I think that they fill needs long term and their guys. Noah could be asked to contribute right away. Robinson could be used in sub packages as an edge rusher, similar to how they used Basham when they claimed him last year. So I think I think those are two worthwhile gambles for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. I think you want to keep, you know, working and, you know, fine-tuning this defense. It could absolutely use a little more depth and flexibility at the second at the second level and at the outside cornerback position. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we're less than two weeks out here. I think looking at the likely pass that I personally see the Jets potentially going, I think their plan A is to take what whoever the best offensive tackle is left on the board at 11, if it's one of those top four guys. My assumption is that they probably like a guy like Wirfs or a guy like Thomas uh, better than the other two. Uh, I also think you have to keep in mind that there's likely going to be a heavily abbreviated offseason. 
Uh, so the time uh, for a player to get up to speed and be ready to start uh, is going to be shorter than usual, which is going to make year one harder for a guy like Becton probably than a guy like Thomas. I still think they would take Becton if the other three were gone and he was there at 11. If they can't get one of those four, I think they're going to try like hell to trade back and get one of the second tier tackles, whether that's Jackson or Jones. Uh, or if they cannot trade back, I think they would actually lean towards maybe going edge rusher or corner, which I personally would not like at all. I'd go receiver in that circumstance. I just don't see it happening. I could absolutely be wrong. The Jets could be doing a great job uh, running smoke screens about what their intentions are. But those are basically the three different paths. I'm optimistic in thinking they're going to get one of the four primary tackles at 11. And then I think they're probably going to go receiver with two of their three day two picks to really expand out what their options are there overall with corner potentially being the other position that they target overall. But this is going to be a weird draft. It's hard to say how teams are going to react to this sort of remote situation and how that's going to impact certain players falling or not falling. But I don't think the Jets are naive to the fact right now that they need a starting tackle uh, whenever this season is going to start. And I think they're going to do what they can to try to address that in round one. Taking a step back to the wider league before we wrapped all, but is there any pr- surprises you think that are going to happen because of this different situation? Uh, someone who's going to fall further than they should, someone who's going to maybe be more aggressive in going to get a quarterback. What do you think is going to sort of be that headline surprise move in round one? Oh, man. I mean, I the first thing, as you were saying it, I was like, you know what? A lot of GMs are going to get exposed. I think that's I think that's kind of what you're going to see, because I, I can already see the excuses lining up about like, you know, like, listen, you know, this isn't normal and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know, you had a full calendar year to scout these guys before the pandemic hit. Uh, but if I had to wager, man, I think I, I, I will... I will hold on to this. I, I, If you had asked me, and I think you asked me this even a month ago, I thought that the Jets would make a play for Odell Beckham. It just kind of felt like the right thing to do, considering, you know, and this is when I thought they would have kept Robbie Anderson, but just to give Sam Darnold a shot. And then now, you know, to see Cleveland, you know, they signed Jack Conklin and they, they were in the mix for Trent Williams. They seem to they seem to really want to fortify this offensive line. I think I think the two things that I think happen, I think I think New England I think New England goes up to get a quarterback, and I think that quarterback is Jordan Love, who is not very good. But I think New England goes up and gets a quarterback. And I think Isaiah Simmons falls. And I think that that's going I think it's going to be interesting because if Isaiah Simmons falls, Joe, and he falls all the way to eleven, right? And I I admit I was one of those guys that even two months ago I was like, listen, if he falls at eleven, he cannot be the pick. It cannot he cannot be the pick. And I still feel that way, but I'm interested to see what happens if if all the four tackles are gone. New England trades up to get a quarterback, the Chargers get a quarterback, Miami gets a quarterback, right? And then now you're staring at the board at 11 and it's Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb and Isaiah Simmons. And I'll be honest, I have no idea what Joe Douglas does in that moment, because I think one of the things that you and Connor have talked about a lot is you're right. This this assumption that, like, listen, it has to be an offensive lineman. It has to be an offensive lineman. And I, and I totally get that because you're right. I think that you can't go into this offseason with you can't go into this season whenever it's played with George Fant and no left tackle. It just it, it just it's not going to work. But if Isaiah Simmons is the guy that falls 
is this a Jamal Adams scenario where you he's too good to pass up? And that's something that has been racking my brain for a little bit now. Uh, I wouldn't take him. I would take Judy in that standpoint even. And mind you, this is I have Simmons. Simmons is one of my top five players in this class. But I just think you have to go offense. But I'm not, I don't know if Joe Douglas sees it the same way. Listen, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting year, and I think there's going to be different scenarios like the one that you just talked through that could absolutely happen. And it's Joe Douglas's first draft as a GM, so all of us are trying to predict what he's going to do. But you know, we're, it's different when you're actually making in the seat making that call. So uh, it's his first one. Let's hope he's better than Mike McCagden. We'll definitely talk again. Uh, before the draft hits because we're still a few weeks out so we'll be back with another episode or two or three on this feed probably before the nfl draft so make sure you stay with us uh, on this feed and at badlands at turnonthejets.podbean.com and just at turnonthejets.com and with dalbin on twitter at da underscore sario and with me on twitter at jay caparoso thank you everybody for listening uh stay safe out there stay socially distant we will be back in a few days to keep talking nfl draft thank you again for listening